Every year since 1990, the United Nations Development Programme has published the Human Development Report. Over the years, the report has increasingly emphasized the links between the environment and human development. Now, when the report celebrates 30 years, it more than ever shows the importance of a stable climate and resilient ecosystems. My name is Fredrik Moberg, and with me are Pedro Conceição, the lead author of the Human Development Report, and Belinda Reyers, Senior Advisor at the Stockholm Resilience Center, and one of the many center researchers who have contributed to the new report. Together we will discuss questions like, why is the Human Development Report so important? And what's different about this year's report? And how can resilience thinking contribute to new global development strategies? Welcome to Rethink Talks. Welcome to Rethink Talks. Uh, This episode is something that I really look forward to because we are going to talk about the Human Development Report. And I am an in a studio in Stockholm. And with me, I have uh, Belinda Reyers. You're sitting in Stellenbosch in South Africa. And also I have with me here, Pedro Conceição. I hope I pronounce your name at least slightly correctly. And you are in, and you are in New York. And you are the lead author of this report. Uh, and really looking forward to this. It's nice to e-meet people like this over several continents. Exciting. And talk about this report. So, uh, I thought that most people might not know you that well that listen to this. So, I would just love to for you to briefly introduce yourself. And if you in this short introduction can say something about why you became an expert or researcher or scientist in your particular field, that would be brilliant. Thank you, Frederick. Nice to be with you and and Belinda. Uh, Actually, I started my career in physics. I was trained as a physicist and uh, did research uh, in nuclear fusion. Um, But over time, I became more and more interested in economics, uh, public policy, uh, and so I, I moved from physics more into economics um, uh, and did my advanced degrees uh, in, in that area uh, and, and chose to work really on, on development because I, I saw, and that's what drives me, I saw that it's possible uh, to improve very quickly standards of living of people um, by uh, observing what happened in my own country, where there was a dramatic uh, transformational change, politically, economic, social, um, within my lifetime. So I saw it happen. I know it can happen. Uh, and uh, I'm working towards making that happen in uh, supporting that, that happen in, in other places around the world. Really interesting background. And where did you grow up? Which is your hometown? I grew up in Lisbon. Uh, that's where I uh, studied physics and did my first degree in economics. And then my advanced degrees were uh, in the United States, in Texas, University of Texas at Austin. All right. Thanks. And Belinda, please. Thanks, Frederick. And it's really great to be here with you and with Pedro, who um, I have yet to meet in person, but have worked with throughout this very weird year of 2020 in 
virtual in other ways, but it's it's been great and very productive. So I, as you said, Frederick, I'm based in South Africa where I hold the research chair in sustainability science at a new institute called Future Africa at the University of Pretoria. But I'm also a part-time senior advisor at the Stockholm Resilience Center in this broader field of resilience and development. And the question of um, how I came to do what I do is a bit of a hard question because I guess the work that Pedro and I do didn't really exist when we started studying. Um, but I suppose as someone who's lived and grown up and traveled extensively around Southern Africa, it was really one of my major drivers was this interest in the natural world and in understanding how it works and not just in and of itself, but how people and societies interact with, connect with and are part of that natural world and really how changes in nature and those connections with nature really impact on us. And I think recently this has really sharpened into a focus on understanding these links from the perspective of the rising and globalizing inequalities that we see in the development space and how that is affected by and affects our relationships with nature. So Pedro, I was uh, you as the lead author of this report uh, will be in focus of this talk. Uh, why is the human development report so important? What, what's special about it? I think, Frederick, we, we may need to go back to the very origins of the report uh, when it was issued for the first time in 1990. Uh, and the, the vision behind it uh, by Mabu Bulhak, who was really the uh, driver of, of the human development uh, report, uh, was twofold. Uh, one, uh, to have a, a concept uh, that um, put people as the center of development. Um, and not uh, the performance, the economic performance or uh, the size of an economy. The, the very first sentence of the first human development report reads, uh, people are the real wealth of nations. So this, this concept that people are really at the core uh, of development um, uh, was crucial. Uh, the second element was to have a measure, a metric to go along with the concept. Uh, so this provided a counterpoint to gross domestic product, for instance, as a, as a metric to assess uh, economic uh, development and development more broadly. Uh, and I think these two aspects uh, were able to galvanize and bring together a number of people uh, that were dissatisfied with um, um, excessive focus, perhaps, on, on, on GDP, gross domestic product as a metric for development, and looking as, uh, at development as if it was only about uh, economic um, performance. Uh, so this, I think, had a huge impact. Uh, the index also um, drew a lot of media attention, uh, attention of policymakers, decision makers more broadly. But it was really a way to get people involved in a conversation and a discussion about this broader concept of human development. Uh, and I think over the years, the reports have tried to keep this uh, conversation going. So provide a new lens to look at different aspects uh, um, of development challenges or challenges more broadly uh, confronting um, our societies. Oh, interesting. And we will come back a bit later. 
uh, to the concept of how you measure this and how you can measure it in different ways, not only in economic terms and not only by putting people in the center of development, but also bringing nature into the equation. But let's uh, let us come to that a bit later on. Um, who is the audience really? Who will read it this year? Hopefully many people, but we have uh, three um, groups in mind. First, more importantly, perhaps the public at large. Uh, so uh, the aspiration is that the reports uh, speak to the concerns um, uh, of, of, of people, of, of, of the public. Uh, secondly, decision makers, um, political leaders, um, people in government, parliaments, but also decision makers in, in, in the private sector, civil society leaders. Uh, and then finally, uh, uh, the report aims at speaking to um, the academic community, uh, research community, uh, draw from the work they do, synthesize, interpret it, uh, and also hopefully offer something uh, of a reflection uh, that stimulates uh, further, further research uh, and study. And talking about the academic world, Belinda, you and the whole bunch of people from the Stockholm Resilient Center has been involved in different ways. What have you brought to the table and to this report this year? Well, I think, you know, the Human Development Report is an enormous collaborative effort. And so it's quite hard to pin down who brought what to the table. But when I stand back and think there were two major focus areas um, or contributions from the Stockholm Resilience Center that I see in the report. And the first is on this radical reconceptualization of the links between environment and development that we see in the report, this idea of expanding human freedoms in balance with the planet. And I'll come back to that a little bit later in the podcast. But the, the second contribution I see is by offering a sort of more nuanced or differentiated perspective on this Anthropocene context that features so largely in the report. Um, and is so central to the report. And I think the Anthropocene is often portrayed in quite simplistic terms as being the result of humanity, as if humanity is a single homogenous force, when in fact the Anthropocene is the result of an extraordinary inequality in human society, of a handful of regions or countries or people in those countries that have caused and profited from the carbon emissions, the species extinctions, the deforestation or pollution that has pushed us into the Anthropocene. While on the other hand, there are many other regions and groups and individuals who are on the receiving end of the risks and impacts of these changes. And this growing gap and the economic and political power asymmetries behind this gap, I think are one of the, the most important challenges for this human development journey that is clarified in the, in the report. And I think part of this more nuanced approach to the Anthropocene is also being clear that the risks of the Anthropocene are not just climate risks, but also include these unprecedented declines in biodiversity, in species and ecosystems, on land, in the oceans and in our rivers, as well as challenges like rising water insecurity and soil and air pollution and other large scale changes. And it's actually the interactions between these that exacerbate each other and have profound consequences for human development on this planet, which I think sets quite a central framing in this report in trying to be clear about the, the nuances and the details and the differentiation of the Anthropocene um, in order that we find ways forward in it. 
And now if we have any listener out there who does not know what the Anthropocene means, could you just briefly explain it? What is the Anthropocene? So very briefly, the Anthropocene is really this idea of the age of humans, right? The fact that humans have now shaped the planet on a planetary scale or on a geological scale um, and have left an enormous imprint on the earth that changes the way the earth system works from our climate to our oceans to the way the forests and biodiversity work. And um, that's very briefly the definition. There's a lot of science behind it, but we're trying to acknowledge the fact that we live in a very different world in the 21st century from um, much of the development thinking that went on in the previous century. So the Human Development Report has really shifted in its perspective, and we see a change now in the new report. And I know that from the Resilience Center side, we often talk about sort of reconnecting to the biosphere and that we need to be more transformative also when we look to the sort of future of the human development journey. Uh, do we need to become more radical and sort of systemic in this, uh, how we change the relationship between humans and nature? Belinda, thoughts on that? Yes, plenty of thoughts. And I think just to echo um, some of Pedro's points and to really um, emphasize, I think, the step change we see in this in this version of the report about this relationship between environment and development. And I think it does emphasize the role of the environment as not just material and not just local, but as hyper-connected with development. And I think it really makes the argument that we need to stop seeing humans and nature as separate or even separable but instead start making choices that are good for both environment and development. And I feel like we're moving towards forms of human development that are connected to the environment or perhaps even collaborations with the planet mm. rather than competitions with the planet. And this report really goes into lovely detail <clears throat> about how we can really challenge this false, false choice of environment or development as a very inaccurate snapshot and move beyond that sort of in deeper, more diverse and transformative ways in this human development journey. And one thing that we often talk about is that we will not sort of manage what we don't measure. And Pedro, I know that in the new report, this is also reflected in, we, we mentioned briefly the human development index, but you have even adjusted it for being more fit into the situation that Belinda is describing in the Anthropocene. Please. Describe what, what has happened with the Human Development Index in this report. So Human Development Index, we argue, uh, remains relevant uh, if it is meant or if it is interpreted as it was uh, meant to be when it was launched in 1990. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it was not meant to capture the totality of the human development concept and approach, but to really put the emphasis on a set of essential aspects of life, uh, minimum acceptable standard of living, um, standard of health and, and education. Now, human development has many other dimensions and many other aspects that are not captured in, in the Human Development Index. So what we have done is to change the, the conversation from one that is focused on how to uh, improve the Human Development Index as a proxy for this broader aspect of human development to one in which we have to have, a, if you want, a, a two-dimensional approach to how we think of the human development journey. So the human development journey is not only one that uh, is focused on uh, advancing the human development index or advancing human development, but one in which we have to have a second dimension, uh, 
And the second dimension has to do with the pressures that we're putting on the planet. Now, the ideal space there, the destination, the aspirational destination is obviously one where the human development index is high and pressures on the planet are low. Now, what we find in the report is that this space is empty now. It's an empty box. So no country at the moment has been able to occupy this space. But we know that that's the direction in which we want to go. So what we do is to adjust the human development index by a pressure, an index of pressures on the planet to provide countries and everyone a way of envisioning or quantifying progress in the direction of this aspirational destination for a human development journey in the Anthropocene. So that's really the intention of the, of the index is to, um, to, to shift the conversation towards one in which we uh, look at how to advance human development, but doing it in balance with the planet. Uh, and Belinda, from your point of view then, is this the kind of metric of human development that we need to capture the new planetary reality in the Anthropocene? Is it enough? Should there have been more parameters included? Are you satisfied? Well, I mean, I do think that the Human Development Report and the Human Development Index have always set the stage for innovative and more inclusive ways to think about measuring something as complex and dynamic and subjective as human development. And I think this new adjusted measure sets the stage for a really important journey of how we understand and measure and engage in these complex challenges of human development in the Anthropocene. I don't think any single measure will ever be enough. You know, we live in a very diverse world and more measures are probably a better approach. And reflecting back um, to some of the points I made earlier about these non-material links between people and nature and the things we almost miss and are invisible until we lose them, you know, measures of those things currently we don't really have. And so, you know, I do think that there's room um, for new measures and improved measures and measures that build on the science. And then I think as the human development report has always made clear, you know, there's also a need for these more bottom up and participatory approaches of people's own experiences of their own development journeys. Um, and I think that by combining those, we certainly have come a long way from the GDP measures that Pedro was talking about in the beginning. And this is, as we mentioned, the year 2020, the year of the devastating pandemic. And I know that the report is, of course, dealing with the pandemic as well and the whole COVID-19 response and what we... And I mean, there are some people mentioning that a, even a devastating crisis like this can be an opportunity to change things. And do you think that this pandemic can also be an opportunity to change things for the better, for human development that sort of looks into a balance between development and the planetary issues that you were talking about? I think opportunity might not be the, the best word to describe what we confront. So I think that uh, the impact has been very severe and inequalities have been exacerbated uh, and we don't know what the impacts uh, are going to be uh, over the long run. But I think there are also some signals that there are um, uh, th things that can improve. So to stay with the, with the impact um, on the role of women in, in, in the world of work, 
um, we, we have some evidence suggesting that uh, some stigma that was associated with part-time work, for instance, or uh, remote work uh, is, is decreasing significantly. Uh, and in some areas uh, that has actually opened up um, opportunities for more women to apply to certain positions and certain jobs. For instance, in the world of finance, we see some evidence of that ha happening. So ultim ultimately, I think that it's, uh, it's uh, up to, to choices. Certainly, uh, massive uh, fiscal um, resources are being mobilized to, re to respond to the crisis. Uh, some um, countries and the European Commission, for instance, have, have made a, an effort and prioritize making allocations that are in the direction of uh, supporting a transition, the transition that we are discussing here. Um, perhaps more interestingly, some monetary uh, authorities are looking also into using their tools, and we discussed this in the report, actually, the role of central banks, for instance, in actually changing the incentives so that finance um, moves towards investments that are more aligned with the sustainability and the transition that, that, is, that is required. So uh, I think we, we are at the, at the moment in which we confront this um, uh, dichotomy between uh, understanding the impact uh, and uh, um, having uh, uh, the need to make choices that can actually move us uh, in the direction of, of, of a transition. Okay, Belinda, do you see any chance for uh, change for the better in this situation? Well, I agree with Pedro here. I feel... Um, it's very hard to see this crisis as anything other than a lot of suffering, you know, just on my doorstep. The suffering that has resulted in our hospitals, in our cities, um, in vulnerable groups of people. It's very hard to see the term from crisis to opportunity and, and not feel a bit repulsed by it. Yeah. But I think my answer to that question about an opportunity for change probably changes on a daily basis. And I think it has done a lot to expose how entangled we really are with our environment and with one another. And really, as Pedro said, to reveal these pre-existing risks in our environment and especially in our unequal world. Um, so anyone who didn't see those things, I think sees them a lot more clearly now. But I think where I feel less hopeful is when one reads the news of sort of recovery plans or economic recovery plans, and we see that playing out between these peaks. I'm less convinced that the opportunities for change are that broadly available or perhaps in the right hands, um, if one considers the kinds of changes we're talking about. Hmm. So a final question for both of you then. If you just have one take-home message uh, from the new human development report and how we need to change human development in the future, what would that be? You know, it's interesting that the 30th anniversary edition of this report comes out in the year 2020, and it's about, you know, human development in the Anthropocene. So it's perhaps very timeless. But I think it also comes at a time when many people and many people listening to this podcast are struggling with things like hope and optimism and action or solutions when faced with this kind of collective paralysis we feel when we realize the scale of the challenge. And so what I really found quite um, hopeful about the report or what I took to heart is how it focuses on human development as expanding human freedoms and opening more choices for people. So it moves us away from the sense of 
having no power to recognizing that it is up to people to chart their own development paths according to their values, rather than prescribing to one or more particular paths. And I think this includes the opportunity to chart paths that are more in tune with nature and our living planet, which I find very hopeful and inspiring. Thanks, Belinda. Pedro, what would you say? Well, I, I was very happy that Melinda brought this this aspect up because in our conversation thus far, the, the, this idea that human development is also about people's agency, people people being agents of change, uh, uh, didn't come up uh, until now, and I think it's a key point of the report, as as Belinda emphasized. So the report is meant to be empowering. Uh, and, and uh, presenting the, the concept or the idea of the Anthropocene almost as liberating. Uh, and so I would say uh, that if we have the power to change the planet, we also have the power to change our ways. You've been listening to Rethink Talks, a podcast produced by the Stockholm Resilience Center at Stockholm University. For more episodes, head over to our website, rethink.earth. And don't forget to subscribe.